Yeah, I think everyone wants to be a lifestyle brand now. And so it's starting to get like played out to say you want to be one. But I think really what a lifestyle brand is, is it takes a holistic look at that customer's journey, not just only with your products, but with everything around that problem statement. I think people is like a big part of how a business is successful. Super important that I like meet with every single person on my team once a month to do a check-in and not a check-in just about like work, but like how are things outside of work potentially affecting your work? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building Blocks podcast. I'm here joined by Olamide, who I actually ran into at a dinner um, a couple, couple months ago. ago. Yeah, and it was just I was like, wait, do we do we know each other? You know each other? It's because of the mask. You can't tell who anyone is until they oh, take the mask off. Yeah, um, and it, it was just so fun to hang out for a dinner. We we were joined by a lot of founders and. Um, and we weren't really sitting that close to each other. So there's a lot of questions that we didn't, I, I couldn't ask you. So I'm really glad I'm able to get you on a show. Um, so thank you for joining. Of course. Thank you for having me. Anytime you call, I answer. <laughs> you, you actually do. Uh, whenever I text you, you're always responsive. I love that. I appreciate <laughs> that. But for those of you who don't know Alameda, she is a superstar uh, and it, it's a long list. I made a super killer intro for you. She's a founder and CEO of Topicals, a Forbes 30 under 30 class of 2022. She's a UCLA track star. Um, and on top of all the stuff that she's doing, she's the youngest black woman to ever raise over $2 million in funding, $2.6 to be exact, in August 2020. And she is, I think, one of the most incredible humans I've gotten the chance to meet. So, Olamide. Here you are. Thank you for joining the show, really. like You're so sweet. That intro was like really, really sweet. Um, yeah, no, it's been a fun last couple of years. It's been really, really hard too, um, but super fun. Like I love doing challenging things and it seems like it works out when I do them. It's, I mean, for beauty, the past couple of years, it was like a roller coaster, right? Because once the pandemic hits, everyone's like, I don't want to wear lipsticks anymore. I don't want to wear foundations anymore. But then, like, you're seeing mascara sales and lashes sales go up because everyone's wearing a mask. Yeah. Uh, but then overall, shopping shopping went up because everyone's got stimulus checks. But then it went down when those checks don't come in anymore. It's right. a roller coaster. It's hard. So, um, you know, it's... I don't know. It's it feels like we're always fighting for survival um, in this space. Yeah. Um, but you know, let's let's go back a couple of years from now. You you start you saw topicals twenty twenty around there. Late yeah, twenty twenty is when I started topicals. But the idea for the brand came twenty eighteen. So um, I might actually rewind even further back. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I grew up with a ton of chronic skin conditions like boils, ingrown hairs, acne, hyperpigmentation, things that people weren't talking about in the beauty world. You know, it was all about face masks and like moisturizers and things that smelled really good. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't use any of those products because my skin was super sensitive or was super inflammatory. And so um, I grew up feeling like I was an other in the beauty industry. And so I, I vowed that I was going to become a dermatologist. I was going to like fix everyone's skin. I was going to help people. And then I got to college. And when I was balancing being a track star and being pre-med, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm cut for this. But my friend that I met there, her dad owned a beauty company. And she was like, she was, she told me, she was like, we should try and build something. And like, that was my first taste of like 
beauty outside of just like going to a dermatologist or shopping, you know, in the ointment aisle. And so that was like the first kind of like inklings of like building a brand because we had, were building like a sister brand or a sub brand to this larger company. And then after graduation, I was like, I really enjoyed that. Now, I wonder if I can kind of mix my personal experience with what I've learned at this company and start something. So Topicals was like birthed years and years and years ago, but it was like really ideated 2018 when I graduated from UCLA and then launched August of 2020. I, I love that. I mean, the fact that you're solving a, a problem that's so personal, it, it just makes the story so much better. Um, you know, you worked at a previous big company and then you jump into becoming a founder. It's, it's a whole different world. Uh, my girlfriend, she's a skincare scientist and she makes cool. products for um, all these like major conglomerate beauty brands. And then now she's working for like a startup and people were like, why don't you start your own brand? And I was like, you like, listen, like it's, it's a different world. Like you're not just making different world. anymore. Like you're gonna, you're gonna touch finance. You're gonna be in Excel. You're talking to suppliers. You're, you're talking to like a Facebook rep. Like there's so many things that you touch on being a founder that you just don't get exposure to when you're just working for someone or making a product. Um, yes. And I'm curious to hear like, what was that shock for you? Like just jumping into it. You know, honestly, finance is always the one where you're just like <laughs> balance sheet. Um, you know, you're just learning income, income statement. You're learning all these terms that like, honestly they should teach us when we're in high school, but they don't. Yeah. Um, but all these things and you're trying to understand, okay, like I thought all of it was just numbers. Like how much do I make? How much does it cost to make it? What's my profit? But like, really, there's things like cash flow, right? Like, I know you and I have texted you before about like, hey, cash flow. Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? You've sent over recs to me, and like, that's a part of finance that people don't talk about. But how, where your money is at certain times is a really big. You might end the year fifty million dollars in revenue, but like, you know, eight months out of the year, you might have five dollars in your bank account just yeah. because of how the money is moving yeah and so like, those things were a really big shock to me and then the biggest one was logistics and like like the last two years would be the perfect time to learn about logistics it's yeah. been quite awful trying to figure out how early do we order this um you know how long does it take to, for something to come in if something sells through really quickly like what kind of things do you have in place whether that's pre-orders or gift cards to still keep your revenue coming in when you are literally out of stock so those are the two big things I learned a ton about when I jumped into the world of entrepreneurship. It's gone so unpredictable. Previously, we, we had like a cycle of ordering where it's pretty predictable. We can forecast, but the word forecast is like, we're just making assumptions nowadays. There, there's making no forecasting. Yeah. Um, because some months you'll do really, really bad. <laughs> and it's yes. like, oh man, we have a lot of overstock and our cash like is just sitting in inventory. And cash flow is one thing that I just wish more people talk about because when you go oh, online, gosh. everyone's like, here's a Facebook ads hack. Here's how you make TikTok ads. But man, none of that matters if you don't have money. Yes. Um, and we need the cash flow hacks. And like, for example, some of my friends, they raised money and they were like, um, when you raise money, because we didn't need the money that we raised right when we raised it, right? We were really fortunate that it had taken me two years to raise the money, but I had bootstrapped and basically like built the company on like 600K, which right. is a, lot, a ton of money when you're really a bootstrap founder. But like yeah. for us doing, you know, lab testing, all the different things we had to do, that 600 was like, it felt like nothing, oh, right? It goes away. And so, Right. It goes really quick. And so I was really glad that we were really frugal around how we built the business. So when we raised the additional $2 million in um, July of 2020, right before we launched, 
I just had the cash sitting in the account and things took off for us really quickly. So we had to put that money to work. But I tell all my friends what I regret not having at the time, which again, chicken and the egg problem is like a line of credit. Like I wish I would have taken that two million and be like, been like, hey, bank or hey, lender, we have this two million dollars in the bank. Like, will you give us an additional two million or even a million on a line of credit? Um, because it, it's just it's super hard once the cash is gone and you've used it up to be yeah. like, hey, give me a line of credit because they're yeah. like, well, you have nothing in your bank account. They 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 look at what you have. Like you you need to put something on a table and leverage is the key to unlocking your business growth. I mean, if you just keep giving away your piece of a company um, for some cash, you yeah. ended up with almost nothing. And banks today, you know, interest rate aren't that, that bad. Um, if you have the assets, leverage it, you know, yeah. and get more money another, out of it. Another thing someone told me, it was one of the co-founders of Mad Happy. He was like, go back to your vendors and advocate for a partnership between them where you, you know, it's only 20% down or it's no money down and you pay when they ship, you pay 50% what they ship. That has also saved us tremendously because inventory is our largest, you know, cost function of the company. And so we've been able to go back to our vendors and say, hey, we're really growing really fast, but we can't really hit all the goals we want to hit and bring you the business you want if we're not able to like float this inventory for a little bit longer, right? Right. Because waiting for something to sit on a ship for three months to get to you and you've already invested that cash is like nail biting. And so that's really helped us as well. Cash conversion cycle. It's uh, it's another thing for another podcast. Uh, yes. we, we could go hours for it, but uh, I read somewhere that Gymshark has like a negative a hundred some days. I read that day. too, and it's crazy. But Why? they could only do that because their volume makes sense for like a lot of small brands. You probably couldn't do that right when you no. start. You now Definitely. have the volume from Sephora, and which I want to you know dive into. Um, but you know, you could always go back to negotiate with your suppliers. And something that I talked to someone yesterday, because I do consulting calls on the side, and they're like, how do you how do you work when you're you're working with uh, retailers and also doing DDC? Like, how do you forecast inventory? Well, I said, you can actually work with your suppliers and be like, hey, I'm going to order this amount in the next few months. And, and if you want that business, let's pre-make those items for me and put it on the side. And then once we're ready to pay for it, we'll pay for it in that way. Um, they, they know that they'll get guaranteed business from you if you have a good track record. And right. the other way is that you reduce the lead time from it. Instead of 40 days, it's now like 20 days. There's a lot of things that you can do to negotiate beyond just a price point. The yeah. payment terms, the lead times. Um, and suppliers are humans too. I, I always tell them this. like Even though they're not in your home countries if you're manufacturing outside, they're real people. Just talk to them. Uh, like, like they're real people. And, right. and built a relationship off of it. Everyone just looks at it as like another person I talked to from China. It's like, no, like yeah. they're, they're actually really good people if you just be nice to them. Yeah, truly. Because I mean, they're small businesses too, right? Oh, like yeah. a lot of them are, they need that next customer. And so they don't want to lose you. And so if you talk to them about like, hey, you know, I'll even pay an extra 2% on what we, you know, are going to set, uh, we're buying from you if you allow me to like push this off where I only put, you know, 5% down or I put nothing down. I think that's the like glory, like we were talking about with uh, um, Gymshark is like nothing down. <laughs> oh man. Um, it's like, that's, we're getting there with some of our vendors and I'm so appreciative of them because yeah. if you have those kinds of things, like those are super helpful in just helping that cash last longer. Yeah. And, and think of this like, Think of it as like an investment. Like when you talk to these vendors and you've been working with them for over a year, you have high volume already. 
they will look at you as like, okay, they've been doing really good. Would I invest in this company? Would yeah, I write right? a check to them? And then they start thinking back, okay, instead of writing like a $100,000 check for them, let me just front inventory for them, give them some more room to grow. If they grow in this time frame by not having that cash down because they use that 20, 30% uh, deposit into growth, they will actually order more from us. Like you need to start thinking like that, right? And and once you understand that, oh man, it just unlocks so it unlocks. much more. Um, I I want to talk a little bit about Sephora. It's a huge feat that you're able to get in Sephora in a space that is traditionally not showcasing stuff like yours. You yeah. know, um, there's this standard of beauty that's always been upheld for the past however long. And you just came in and you're like, we are different. We're, we're bringing this product and we're, we're serving people who are typically overlooked. And I love that. Walk me through how you got into Sephora and, and what was the learning that you got from, you know, from DDC immediately to a mass retailer? Yeah, I think the big thing that we had to get Sephora to understand is that one in four people has a chronic skin condition. So this isn't like an anomaly or like a niche small community that has these things. And this customer typically has at minimum two skin conditions. So if I'm Sephora, I want a customer like this. There are a ton of people who have it and they usually have multiple skin conditions, which means they'll be, the retention will be really good. Um, and if, if it's similar, if it's kind of almost like prescriptive in a way like a prescription is where, you know, you find something that works, you keep on it. As a, as a customer of Sephora, I'm sorry, as Sephora as a business, you know, that's what you want. You want customers that are gonna be loyal because like we talked about with mascara, with other different things, they're more of need, um, wants, not needs. And so like, if you can bring in a new customer base that has a want, where it's like they have to buy this and it's only available with you at Sephora or with the brand's D2C site, that sounds, in my opinion, like a home run business. And I think that's what Sephora has partnered with us on is this ability to take a customer who um, maybe was buying her hair care at Sephora, she was buying her lipstick and her makeup, but then when it came to her skincare, she had to leave the store and go to you know the ointment aisle in a grocery store or in a mass like pharmacy chain. You know, why not just bring that customer into Sephora, have them round out their trip? And that was like my pitch to Sephora and they got it right away and said, we agree. Um, and I think the second thing with Sephora, why we chose them as a retailer is they're really great at storytelling. You know, the feeling you get when you walk into a Sephora, it's super uh, brightly lit. You know, it, there's there's so much fun things in there. The, the marketing in there looks like superb versus, you know, someone like myself that shopped at the ointment aisle. I'm buying like my creams for my like boils next well. to like a foot fungus cream. <laughs> and, you know, it makes you feel like an other. And there's nothing wrong with having foot fungus and all these different things. But it's just like the way it's merchandised and marketed to you mm-hmm. feels very different. Yeah. So those are the two big like keys around Sephora. Why we why they said yes and why we knew we wanted to be in that place. No, that makes perfect sense. You went to them and be like, hey, a lot of people actually need this stuff. And a lot of people, they're going to CVS. They're going to these big farmies. Um, and, and they're buying things that they really need, which means that they'll come back and retend. And Sephora wants that. Any retailer yeah. wants that because the more... The more often someone comes back and walk back into those doors, the more often they're going to buy other stuff along yeah. the way, right? Uh, whereas when you sell something that's a little bit more one-timey, where like they don't, they probably won't buy another one of them, but it looks really good on a one-time, the chance of them coming back is a lot less, which means you'll yep. make less money overall. Like that pitch was great, um, and the fact that you're able to sell something that is traditionally overlooked and they're they're not considered sexy. Like the, these are yeah. things that people aren't like I. I want to look cute in it, but it's yeah. a need. 
and you made it look cute. Like the packaging is just amazing. I love that. And Thank I actually you. got an email from you the other day about a new product launch called a High Roller. Yeah. And, um, I showed my girlfriend because she, you know, she's in the space, and she's like, she got it right. Like the ingredients were like great. And she's like, yeah, like that's actually a very popular uh, ingredient um, that's up and coming. I'm, I'm surprised that like she was able to get it so quickly. Um, and I'm like, yeah, she's she's great at this shit. Um, but high roller, tell me about high roller. Why? Why? And you know, it was it like a saturated market, or was it like you felt like people just didn't really pay attention to ingrown hair? So when we think about any products that we build, like our product philosophy is all about targeted. Um, solutions or targeted products, right? Like, I think I love the 10 step routine, but sometimes I'm super lazy or as someone with a chronic skin condition, I already have really expensive prescription ointments or other things. And so if I wanted to buy something, I wanted to cut down as many steps in my routine as possible. And so when we think about how we're building our products, we always want to hit you with, you know, the ingredients that target each pathway as to why something happens. So for example, one of our other best-selling products is Faded and um, you know, dark spots, hyperpigmentation, those types of conditions have multiple pathways that cause them to happen. And most products on the market only target one of those pathways. And so I remember I, I was pre-med at UCLA, so like I'm such a science nerd as well, but I, I studied that and was like, why is everyone just targeting one when you can target all of them? And maybe to other people it was like, to make the product cheaper, you could like, you know, just put one ingredient, but we take all of the, like, let's say five core ingredients you need for this skin condition. And we just throw it in a, in a bottle at the most optimal concentration. So you don't, we try not to, um, you know, give people irritation given there is a lot of actives. So we add a lot of moisturizers, soothers, but then we also have those actives that really target whatever it is that you are, you know, whatever skin condition or skin um, I would say like skin thing that you're dealing with. And so our products are not OTC, so they're not treating anything. They are just, you know, fading the look of the of this discoloration or helping to soothe um, any bumps. And so uh, for high roller particularly, um, zinc PCA is something that people typically think about for acne. Uh, and so I was really excited when we discovered the ingredient and uh, my VP of product was like, you know, people think of this as just acne, but it's really any kind of bump where there's something in the follicle. And that for us is like how we do all of our product development, that like scientific connection where, hey, this ingredient is maybe really popular or isn't as popular, but it's not been used in a particular case. I don't think there are any products really on the market that have zinc PCA in them for ingrowns. And so that's our, our product philosophy. And, and I always tell people that we're the most tagged ointment brand on the internet because before us, not a lot of people wanted to tag, you know, their like ointments and creams. Uh, their labels from like the pharmacy. No. Yeah. Like, why would you want to do that? And yeah. so I'm so excited that we've built this like behavior where instead of something feeling shameful, it feels more fun and it's mm -hmm. more like community oriented. I, I love that. I really love that. And speaking about the brand, I know you guys are positioning yourself as a lifestyle brand. And it's also something that we're trying to do, right? And there's a good argument for why. And I do want to understand, like, your approach to, like, what, what defines a lifestyle brand for you and how is Topicals going to achieve that? Yeah, I think everyone wants to be a lifestyle brand now. And so it's starting to get, like, played out to say you want to be one. But I think really what a lifestyle brand is, is it takes a holistic look at that customer's journey, not just only with your products, but with everything around that problem statement. 
So for us, that's skin conditions. And so I know growing up, I was really um, embarrassed or nervous or had a lot of anxiety around my skin conditions. And when um, we started to really go deep into, you know, what this company should be, how do we speak to our customer and our community? We found that people with chronic skin conditions are two to six times more likely to experience depression and anxiety because a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of misinformation around having a skin condition. Are you unhygienic? Do you not shower? Is it contagious? You know, we wanted to dispel those myths. And so we knew that mental health was going to be a big part of our brand. And so when you kind of separate yourself from just being a product brand, I think people start to see you as um, something they want around them more than just in the bathroom. And I think that's what for me is a lifestyle brand is like the core function of your product can customers think about you as a brand outside of the core function um, and still really resonate with the brand and be excited to be a part of the community? I mean, that's probably the best argument for why you should be in a lifestyle brand is that like all the things you mentioned is the fact that skin condition leads to um, depression and feeling just embarrassed and the fact that your product helps them through that entire journey. It's it's incredible. It's and you're right, like the the word lifestyle brand got played out so much by by everyone. And yeah. it, it, it was it, like, well, if you made a merch item, now you're a lifestyle brand, which is like not accurate at all. No, you know? not at all. Not at all. And, you know, it's it's easy to just say you're a lifestyle brand because it's, well, there's no clear definition, but I think you yeah. make such a strong argument for it. And um, I do want to like lead on my last question is that I like to talk about mistakes um, because I, I think we learn the most from our mistakes and hopefully from other people's mistakes as well. What is something that you see people make a lot? Uh, what was a mistake that you see people make a lot in your field? Yeah, I think in my field, but in general, I think people is like a big part of how a business is successful. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, when you're dealing with like the stress of running the business and trying to like keep your employees happy, I think a lot of people, like there tends to be a lot of like issues, you know, tension in that area. And so for me, I've made it super important that I like meet with every single person on my team once a month to do a check-in and not a check-in just about like work, but like how are things outside of work potentially affecting your work? You know, what are things that are you're really excited about? I think that um, the fact that we only talk about work at work feels to me like I don't know. It feels boring, right? I love to laugh. I love to cry. I was talking to my friends, uh, my friends, I was talking to my coworkers earlier today in a meeting during our brand meeting. And we, in that meeting, everyone always brings something that they saw on the internet that was really fascinating, interesting. And so I've gone to learn more about them because of that. And something I was telling them is like, I've been watching, I'm so into ethnic culture, right? I'm Nigerian and I love movies and shows that talk about that. I rewatched Crazy Rich Asians for like the fifth time yesterday <laughs> and was like laughing and crying. And I just, I love like culture and I love family. And I think that like, I don't think businesses are a family. Like that's not the right dynamic because you have to, you have to live with your family and you can leave a job at any time. So it's not a family. I like to say it's more like a sports team because everyone has a role to play. And like, if you don't do your job or your role, then you like let someone else on the team down. And that's more of the way I like to think about it. But I talk to to them about like things that I'm interested in that are not topicals, right? Like I'm really into reading. I, I really like, you know, cooking, just different things like that. You bring that to the table also. And I think it helps people to let their guard down. And I also think when people can bring their full selves to work or can like talk about other things they're passionate about, that passion tends to shine through in the work that they do. And then you get, you know, people who do better work. Yeah, I, 
I love that you answered this on the question of mistakes because we hear so much about people working in beauty burning out. The team that they're in is just not fulfilling. The work that they do just doesn't feel rewarding. The managers that they have doesn't care about them, and it just seems like endless work. And right. and it is something that I had to learn the the hard way is that you're you're right. It's people that say that. Oh, we're like a family here. Oh my God, they're about to overwork you. Yeah. <laughs>、um, and the team sport makes sense because everyone does have a role. Everyone has is, is a collaborative environment. Family is like you you hate each other, but you still have、yeah. each other.、Um, so no, I I love that that perspective. I also love that you know building a culture and building a team is truly what makes a company successful. It's not the best Facebook ads, it's not the best creative, it's not all this and that. It's the people who are doing it. And if you're not taking care of your own people, they're they're not gonna be performing at their highest. Productivity level.、Uh, it's,、yeah. it's not the performance report. It's not the you know the productivity hacks that makes them do better. It's them becoming more of themselves, letting them be themselves, and sharing、yeah. what they like outside of work. And I love the one-on-ones that you do with your team, where you just don't talk about work or you don't talk entirely about work. It's so important, and it is a mistake that、yeah. I've done a lot.、Um, consulting for a lot of teams, just I I can feel it in like、yeah. the energy of a team who. Who gets really well taken care of by their founders and their leaders versus a team who just gets overworked nine to five and clock out and they're、yeah. just, they're going out a drink. They're like, I, I, I know, I'll, I'll figure it out tomorrow. But the、yeah. people that you care for,、um, that you take really good care of, they they care about the brand actually, like it's like if it's their own, and、right. that will shine through in their performance. So that's like、um, how I like to、um, do my company too. So I. Appreciate that you also see the same way,、um, Alameda. Thank you so so much for、um, for coming on. It's just it's been incredible watching your journey because you know this space is so small. You know it, it feels like we all know each other. So seeing my friends win, it's always the most heartwarming thing.、Um, walking into the store and seeing my friends win, I, I know her. <laughs> I, I love that. So keep、thank、crushing、you. it. Thank you so much. And then、um, where can we find you? Like where, where's the best place to find you? So first of all, thank you so much. I think it really takes a village. There's so many founders that I have like sidebars with, where I'm like, I'm freaking out, like, you know, how do we get our cash conversion to be X, Y, and Z, or like, who should I talk to for this? And you've always literally picked up the phone or texted me right away. Anytime you you find out about something new, you're always texting me、um, and saying, Hey, can I make an intro for you? So I really appreciate that because it really does take a village.、Um, you can find me on all social networks at Alamade A Aloe. Um, and then you can find topicals at topicals on all social networks.、Um, yeah, we're just we're just out here having fun and like not taking life too seriously at this point. Because whenever things get really stressful, I always just say like I sell cream on the internet. I sell lotions. Like it's oh not, man, me too. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> like don't take it too seriously, dude. Like I just I just sell hair. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's really it's more than that because obviously it's people's livelihoods and stuff that you know you feel really responsible for. But I think when things get really tense, because they do for us. Sometimes, and we're the only ones who have to carry the burden. I just tell myself, like, you know, it's all, it's gonna be all right. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. I love that. Thank you, Lamade. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. You just heard an episode of the Building Blocks podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe below to keep hearing conversations that I have with brilliant marketers, founders, and innovators on how they built their best ideas. Now, if you want to learn how you can turn your best ideas and build something massive out of it, visit my website bbclass.co or follow my Twitter at agro.